Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? decor going so, for your new house. Okay. Well, we closed yesterday. Well, we funded, congratulations. I mean, thank you. House buying is so weird. Like we close, we funded yesterday, but we can't record to d- till today because my lender like totally dropped the ball. So like, here's the thing. Sometimes when you want to support like a small, I mean, small, I don't know, like a small bank, like I really liked the guy who is the mortgage guy and he has his own bank and all these things. I don't even how, know how this shit works. It's like, but anyway, they were so like, uh, it was a real debacle. It was a real, real Shannon Degas situation about how they, anyway, my money was in the bank in escrow on Friday, their money that they're lending us, which we're paying in fucking fuckload of interest on is they couldn't get it together. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> They're like, we and, have to look through the couch cushions. <laughs> right. That's what it felt like, Gina. It felt like these motherfuckers were like, oh, shit. We didn't actually think this was going to happen or something. And so I talked to escrow, my friend Fran and escrow. You know, I make friends with the with the older ladies. And, and she was like, I don't want to talk bad about your lender, but like, whoa. And I was like, Fran, Fran, I had to really lay down the law yesterday and I needed my office mate Eileen to be witness to when I did, because I didn't really want to get too crazy, but I also needed to get a little crazy. And I was like, listen, what you're asking for, and it was true, does not exist. They needed one, Gina, it was, it was like being in the, in the show Severance mixed with the show uh, Succession mixed with, it was like all the shows where you're just like, no, no, what you're asking for doesn't exist. And, um, you want a document to look a certain way and Chase Bank doesn't do a document that way. And she's like, well, she said, I don't bank at Chase. So I don't know. And I said, listen, I don't care where you bank, ma'am. I don't care, but this is Chase Bank. It happens to be a very popular bank. So I'm assuming other people have checking accounts that you deal with at Chase. What I'm telling you, she wanted me to get up and go to Chase Bank in person and get a printout of a certain statement period with an HTTP on the bottom. She didn't know what she was talking about. She didn't know what she was talking about. And she was like 18. And I said, Oh ma'am, if you could get this loan funded in the next, cause we have to do it by 11. That would be really, really dope. I'm going to hang up now before I say something very bad. And then I hung up. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. I know it's the worst kind of hell. And regarding like wanting to support smaller businesses, I, what, that is such a horrible sadness. There's a, there's no sadness, like the sadness of really investing in the little guy and having it. That was my experience. My big experience with that was going, having a midwife, you know, with my first child. And I really, I was in that whole thing of at that time, it was like, oh, birth is too medicalized. And, you know, even though my husband was a doctor, like, fuck the, fuck the medical establishment. We're right, just gonna, right, but I, right, but I didn't want to like, I didn't want to go, as my daughter would say, I didn't want to be one of those people who, what did she say? You know, one of those people who carry rocks to make them feel better. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so 
I didn't want to go so far as to be one of those rock carrying people to have the birth at my house. But at the same time, I really want to have this midwife. And then I, there was a problem and she wasn't equipped to deal with it. And it was... I was there. Oh, God. FYI. Yes, you were. And the first you, one, you, right? You, for, for your first one. The first one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. You're talking about this. I don't even remember her ass. What I, she, I don't remember nothing about her. If you had told me you didn't have one, I'd be like, yeah, you didn't have one. I remember the problem. And I remember them having to get the big, the big doctor. And I remember a lot of blood. And I remember thinking, oh... Thank God there's this doctor they got from down the hall to come or wherever the hell they were and take care of this problem because this gene is going to bleed out right here and none of us know what to do. Yes, I will never forget the look on your face. You and Aaron looking at each other, trying to do that thing where you're like, it's fine, it's fine. But you're such a bad liar that that I could, I just took one look at you. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to fucking bleed out right here. And Aaron's going, no, no, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. And then, of course, he was born on July 25th, and all residents start their residency on July 1st. So, you know, you really don't want to have a baby or have surgery in July because you're getting at a teaching hospital because you're getting a lot of residents. And this woman comes in as I'm bleeding and everything is going crazy and I haven't even had a chance to hold my baby yet and she comes up to me and she says oh because the the midwife ran out of lidocaine there was no lidocaine so they were trying to sew me up without lidocaine and so this nurse comes in she puts her hand on my shoulder she says hi I'm Dr. Wu and I'm and I said Dr. Wu do you have any lidocaine I need some lidocaine stat right up in there give me some lidocaine baby and she had to call her boss, you know, who I could tell when he came in. Of course, he was a man. And I could tell when he came in, he looks at my midwife and is like, oh, this is what you did here. I see. This right. Is, you know, we have to come in and clean up. But sometimes that's the right. case. Sometimes it's really just true that, you know, it's that the, that the bigger cor- kind of like more corporate option is better because it just works better. Well, and they've done this before. Like there is they've done the job before in a way. And they've seen the problems. They know how to troubleshoot in a way because they just have the fucking experience. Now you could say that getting that experience is like super fucked up and patriarchal and, and all the isms it's, and you'd be right. But when you are bleeding to death or when, you know, you're in a big financial negotiation that could go south at any moment and lead to not having a, like all feeling lost, you want someone who knows how to fucking troubleshoot, dude, like, come on. And I, you know, and it is sad. It's heartbreaking when you like, fuck, man, I really wanted this. Like Dr. Altman always said, and I have an update on Dr. Altman, my favorite psychiatrist mentor of mine. But he always said like, well, when I was going through med titration, when they put this dingling at Highland Park Hospital, who tried her best, but put me on lithium thinking I was bipolar. And then I was and the, all the meds, right? All the meds. And he's like, well, they could have worked. <laughs> It but, could have worked. It, it all could worked. have worked. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. you are right. So like it could have worked. It could have done, gone differently, but it just didn't. So it's like, yeah, it's better to look at it like that because or else it's just infuriating that it didn't work in the first place. Right. Like mm-hmm, you're like, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Well, they tried. <laughs> yeah. I use that all the time that it could have worked thing right. that, that I got through you from Dr. Altman. Um, you know, um, my husband is having like some major, you know, growth moments, like come like those moments where all the puzzle pieces become clear and you go, okay, my childhood isn't what I thought it was. And this person has got this and this person has got that, you know, and, and whenever he's 
doing the thing that we all do, which is like lamenting the life, the family he wished he had had. I always say like, well, it could, as Dr. Alman says, it could have worked. Yes. These parents could have been just fine for you if you were a different person, but right. you're, you're you. And so, and they're them and it wasn't a good match. Yeah, and, and like that happens sometimes. And I think it's really good with kids maybe too. Cause it's like, listen, like, like I say to my niece, like it could, this could have been whatever it is, the thing or my nephew too, that worked and like that you loved volleyball or that you loved this. Like you're just looking and I think it's all about titration, right? Like it's all about figuring out where we fit in, where we belong, where we don't. And it is a fucking process, which is what he was saying. And like, and that you don't, we don't get it right the first time, even in medicine, even in, maybe especially in medicine, maybe in, especially in relationships. Like, so it, it also opens the door for like possibility, right? That like it's an experiment and like we don't know. Even doctors don't know. Hey, let me run this by you. Or Miles did, of course. And um, done. What about you? What about you? I'm going to do it after this. After we're done recording today, I'm going to go over and I always like to take one of my kids so they, you know see that this is the process and you have to do it and it's everybody's responsibility to do it. Um, that doesn't mean that I didn't get all angry at my own party this uh, week. You know, my mom has a great expression. I think it's her expression. She says it in any case, all politics is local, right? Like where it really, where the rubber really meets the road is what's happening in your backyard. And like, I have a lot of problems with my town. They don't want to have, you know, they voted down this measure to put a, 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 um, like a sober living place wanted to take up residence. Couldn't think of a greater idea. Nobody wanted it. You know, that's a lot of NIMBYs, not in my backyarders over here. And it it really drives me crazy. And in the edit, in the uh, paper this week, there was a big scandal because uh, there's this particular like committee in our town that was in charge of there was going to be this what is it like a prize maybe or an honor or not a scholarship but something where they were going to have to name it and they were you know really looking around for names they were trying to think up what names would be appropriate and somebody put forward the name of this person who is already kind of a named figure in our town like we have this beautiful fountain that's named after him he was he was a somewhat of a big guy you know he was an architect whatever um so this name gets put forward and this woman who's on this committee says, I don't think this is a great time to name something after an old white man. Mm-hmm. Now, to me, couldn't be a more reasonable thing in the world to say everybody's mm-hmm. calling for her resignation. And these, you know, the thing that I hate the most about mm-hmm. not just conservatives, but it seems like it's especially conservatives. I hate this thing. And I remember, I think I've said this before on the podcast. I remember hearing some black activists saying a lot of white, you know, a lot of racism perpetrated by white people is like founded on pretending, pretending like you don't see color, Uh pretending Uh like, um, you know, saying things like, oh, well, why would you have had that experience, uh, you know, walking down our street at night? Like, or why would you have had that difficulty getting that job? I don't understand. And pretending like they don't know that uh, this person uh-huh. didn't get that job right, because right, of the right. color of their skin, that kind of a thing. So, of course, the way that people are coming down on this woman is to say, 
Well, I don't know about you, but I was taught that we have to look beyond race and we have to recognize the person before the color of their skin. And if you can't be, you know, representing the needs of white men, then I just don't really think that there's a place on this council. And of course, you know, somebody who I know and have in the past really respected was quoted in this article as saying, uh, oh, somebody who considers himself like a staunch liberal. Yeah, I mean, I just really can't think of any people of note from our town who weren't white men. And this motherfucker let himself be quoted in our newspaper as saying this. Now, maybe he feels fine about it. Maybe he doesn't think there's anything wrong with it. But I, I, I think it's completely, completely disgusting. Of course, so, so then I went and I just did this research of like all the people who have lived in our town historically uh, they're not just white men. We, there's other people yeah. to choose from, needless yeah. to say. Well, also, like, it, it, it's so interesting. I mean, it's just that that quote just is so problematic on so many levels. It, like, goes so deep. But, like, the other thing is, like, maybe they missed – the only thing I can think of is that, dude, did they miss the second half of your quote, which was, and that's a problem. Like, like if, if you can't – if you can't finish that quote with, you know, I can't really think of like anyone of note in our being or anyone being recognized in our town in this way that wasn't a white dude. And that's really crazy. We should really reevaluate how we're doing things here. Period. You're so, you're or what so about sweet the to offer. You're so, you're so sweet to offer him this benefit of the doubt. Of course, I don't offer that to him because this is a person who, you know, there's been a few people in my life who I've had the opportunity to, you know, know what they say privately and then know what they uh, say publicly. Right. right. And I, and I know this, you know, I know this person personally and um, no, I, it doesn't surprise me at all that, that that would have been the entirety of the quote and it would have been taken out of context. Now it might've been, and I don't know, and I'm not, right. I'm not going to call right. him up to ask right. him, but you know, at a minimum, you go on the local Facebook page and say, I was misquoted. No, no, yeah. Chances are that this, this person just said this and actually um, the true crime is not uh, realizing if, if, if that's the case, that they, that that statement is problematic. So that's really fucked up. And also like, think of all the native people that were on that land, on our land. Like you're going to tell me, that just because you haven't done, they haven't done the research, they don't think that a native person from the Northeast did something of greatness. Shut up, man. Excellent. Before it was Excellent point. Excellent point. Maybe when I write to my letter to the editor, maybe I'll quote you on that because yeah, yeah. it's like, it's so, it's just, yeah. and, and I'm, by the way, I, I'm, I have been, I'm sure I'm still am guilty of the same thing too, of just being the laziness of like, well, I don't know. We'd love to, you know, hire a person of color, but none have sure. applied. I mean, I have sure. definitely said things like that and I just sure. understand it differently. Now I understand, you know, they're not going to be at the top of the pile of resumes that you're going to get because historically these people haven't felt like there's a place for them at your table. So what Correct. you have to do is go above and beyond and say, we are specifically recruiting people of color for right. this position. I, I understand well, and that And how now. about even like do some research online and find out who those people are and try to like hire them away from wherever they are to tr- in, and make them a great offer. You know what I mean? Like all well, the things. Well, th- this experience did cause me to go on my little Wikipedia and look up, you know, people who yes. have lived here. And I was really like, 
surprised to learn how many people have known. Now, it's true to say that, um, you know, when when you're just looking up a list of famous people, it is going to mostly be white men because that's who mostly, you know, sort of sure. made made history, made the news, whatever. But right. um, yeah, one of the very first things that come up comes up when you look it up my town on Wikipedia is that the fact that this was the Ramapo tribe that lived here, you know, yeah. this is who we took the land away from. I was also Ramapo. surprised to learn That's that cool. a surpri- Ramapo. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was also interesting to learn supposedly, according to this, how many people of note live here currently, including people like um, Harvey Firestein, who I have, <laughs> I've never seen around town, oh. but God, I would really love to. And yeah. uh, like some other, you know, sort of famous people. But anyway, so cool. Yeah. So, um, so I will be voting after this, and I really, I don't have a great feeling about the election. No. But I'm, no. you know, I'm just like, what can you do? You can just sort of well, go forward and you know stick yeah, to your values. I mean, the thing is, stick to your values, move forward, and like my aunt, happy birthday, Tia! It's her birthday today, and um, she is like super depressed that you know she she said what she says is like fascism is really today is the day that we really something about fascism it's like really dire and like really okay so my it's so interesting that i think boomers feel really bad because they had it so quote good even though it wasn't really good there was an illusion of goodness right so um i I am depressed, but here's the thing. And I was, I was going to bring this up to you. It's like, I, I had an experience last night where I went to this theater and saw the small theater, which I really want to do my solo show in, which is this famous theater called the Hayworth, which is they show silent movies and all, but there's now it's like an improv sort of venue and, and it's really cute and throwbacky. But anyway, I went there and I just was thinking like, as I was watching these performers, like, oh, it is not even that like it's literally that I spent 45 years thinking that I was worse than everybody else. Right. And so now that I don't really think that I actually don't have that much time left to accomplish what I would like to accomplish. So I, I spent all this time feeling like I couldn't do what she's doing. I can't do what he's doing. Can't do what they're doing They're They are doing because I'm not good enough. Like literally. And now I'm like, Oh my God, I'm good enough. I have things to say. I really want to leave a legacy. And literally the clock is ticking. Now I'm not saying I'm running around like a nut, but what I'm saying is like, I, I, I do feel that I literally don't have the time left to participate in half-assed measures of, um, art or whatever we're going to do. We got to make it purposeful because, I, w- I, I spent all this time getting ready 45 years to not hate myself. And now the clock is ticking. I don't hate myself and there are things to do. That's literally how I feel. So then when I see art or something where I'm like, why are you using your platform this way? What are you talking about? What are you saying? Oh no, I can't. I even, now I know why people leave movies early, plays early. If it is, and some, for me anyway, I like some people are probably just assholes and like they, the person on stage doesn't look cute and they're out or whatever, but, or they're having panic attacks like I used to and I have to leave. But like, uh, mostly I understand where it's like, this is wasting my, my time, time I could be using to sort of plant seeds that may do something to be of service. So I'm going to 
jet and good luck to you. But yeah, it's the first, I just really feel like time is of the essence. And I always thought that was such a stupid thing that old people said, which was, you know, time is our most precious commodity. And I was always like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And now I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. Oh shit. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had an experience that I relate to with that, which is that, um, you know, I, I volunteered to be part of this, um, festival of one acts and um you know the thing we were supposed to do is read all of the submissions and then pick our top three and then they were going to do this rank order thing where they're attempting to put each director with one of their top three choices well i read it was like 10 plays i read them and i i didn't have three three choices there was only one play that i felt hmm, frankly was worth my time and i felt really uncomfortable about having that feeling and I was doing all of the like who do you think you are and you know it's you haven't directed something in three years and beggars can't be choosers and the whole thing and I just thought you know I know what I'm gonna do if I don't stand up for whatever it is I think I I can do here is I'm gonna resent the thing that I get you know pitted with and then I'm gonna do something self-destructive or I'm gonna kind of like blow up the relationship I don't want to do that so I spent a lot of time thinking about how I was going to write this email back saying basically like, I don't have three choices. I only have one choice. And I understand if you don't want to give that to me, sure. that this may, I might not be a good fit for you, you know, but I sure. really, I really kind of sweated over it because when you don't, you know, when you're various, if I was an extremely established theater director, you know, I wouldn't have thought twice about it, but I'm not, I'm trying to be established here. And I, you know, so my, my, my go-to has always been, well, having opinions and choices and stuff like that is for people who, you know, have more than you do or have more to offer than you do. And it doesn't always work out that when you kind of say, this is me and take me or leave me, it doesn't always work out. But in this case it did. And they gave gave me my first choice. And so I'm I'm, I'm happy about that. But there's a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that just goes into the, um, it's all just work I have to do on myself. Like I have this a way right. of thinking about things is like, I have to do this work with this other person or I have to convince no. them why no. it has no. nothing to do with that. It's just no. that I have to do. This well, work that's what myself. I'm realizing. Like Gina, absolutely. And good for you for like coming at it from a place of like, okay, like this might not work, but I have to do it to see and put it out there and it may not work. And they may say, go fuck yourself. But the alternative one is resentment, but also is like, Mm, not doing anybody else any favors either. If you aren't saying like, I actually don't have three choices here. I'm not going to do justice. And I also, it, it brings me to my other thing, which I thought was so full of shit, which is so true. It's like most things are just not, uh, it, it's about not being a right fit. It's not about you're bad and I'm good. I'm good. And you're bad. It's like, this is not a good match. And I, I think it just takes what it takes to learn that it is a not, it's about a matching situation. So like you knew that like those other two wouldn't be good matches and you wouldn't do a service to them or yourself. And it's not. And also like this thing about beggars can't be choosers. I fucking think it's so dumb because like most of us are beggars all the time and and we we settle for garbage and it doesn't like I feel like we can't like beggars should be more choosy and I also feel like I'm not saying not be humble but like 
fuck you. If you take away our choices, like we have to have choices. That's the thing. It's like beggars have choices. Whatever you call a beggar, we still have choices, like how we're going to interact and how, and how we're going to send emails and shit. I'm just like, yeah. 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 Plus that whole phrase is so like in a way rooted in this kind of like terrible supremacy structure that we're trying to fight against which is like we want to tell of course we want to tell beggars that they can't be choosers because we just we don't want to think about them as people who have the same agency in life as we do sure and now i've started saying to people when i have this conversation about like uh, about um um unhoused people like having tent encampments and i get it like you're going to school you're walking your kid to montessori and there's a fucking tent encampment in your front yard you did not pay for that you did not sign up for that you are i get it and also my question is what are we gonna do when the tents outnumber the people in homes because then it's a real fucking problem so like how are we going to do that? You think it's uncomfortable? I think it's uncomfortable to walk by a tent encampment as I'm on my way to a coffee date with someone or whatever. That's uncomfortable. But what are we going to do when, like in India, the, the quote slums or whatever people, you know, whatever people choose to call it, outnumber the goddamn people in the towers? Then we then it's going to be a different problem. podcast we are talking to Rodney Toe. Rodney is an actor. You know him from Parks and Recreation, Barry, Good Girls, Rosewood. He was in a film this summer called Easter Sunday. Anyway, he's a delight. He's also a professor of theater at USC and he's charming and wonderful and we know you are going to love listening to him as much as we loved talking to him. So please enjoy our conversation with Rodney Toe. Can you hear me? Can you hear me okay? Yes, you sound great. You sound Fantastic. great. You. No echo. You have beautiful art behind you. We can't ask for Easter Sunday. We were just talking about Easter Sunday, so we're going to have to ask you oh, about sure. it. But first, I have to say, congratulations, Rodney Toe. You survived theater school. Oh, thank you. Yes, I did. I sure <laughs> Was did. Was USC? Did you go to USC? No, I, I'm a professor. I'm a currently a professor right. at USC. So we just assumed you went there, but where did you go? No, to no, 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 no. I that that came about like a, in a roundabout way, but no, I I totally I went to Marquette University. Oh, in, in Milwaukee. In Milwaukee. Oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah, so usually everybody's reaction. Everybody's reaction is like, uh, Milwaukee. Pause, pause, pause. Yeah, well, yeah. I actually love Mil. I'm from Chicago and Evanston, and then you are. Yeah, born and raised Northside. My family's still there. What the hell? How did I not know this? Yeah. I'm but lived in Rogers Park and went to we went to DePaul. Yes. Well, I hear I hear the park. Yes, yes. Born and raised. My family's still there. I am a Chicago. I'm an undying Chicago and through and through. Yeah. Wait a minute. So so okay okay okay. So you grew up on the north. <laughs> you grew up in on the north side. Yeah, I grew up in I I grew up uh, and I went to Lane Tech. Oh my gosh, that's where my niece mm-hmm. goes. Right mm-hmm. this very minute, she goes. Yeah. It's quite yeah. cool. I don't know how it was when you went, but it went through a hard time, and now it's like one of these. Yeah, I mean, when I went, it was it was still considered a magnet school, and I, I you know, I think like in like it went maybe through a period of like yes. sort of like shifting, but then it's like now it's an incredible school. I'm the, the September seventeenth is um, apparently Rodney Toe Day at Lane Tech. No, 
Yeah, it just happened. I mean, it's it's silly, that but it's your so fun. Because of Easter what's Sunday. The significance? No, because of Easter Sunday, they did like a bunch of, you know, I do a lot of advocacy for the Asian American, uh, for Asian American representation. So they listen, just sort of like put it all together. That movie had broke so many, broke so many barriers and was, I mean, it was phenomenal. And also I just feel like it's so obviously so needed. Duh. When people say like more (laughs) representation is needed, I'm like, okay, no shit, Sherlock, but it's true. It bears repeating Mm -hmm. again because it still is true that we need more representation, but I am fascinated. Okay. So you went to lane tech and were you like, I'm going to be a famous actor, comedian. No, what? what I don't know you- anything about it. Didn't I, you know, it's called Lane Tech for a reason, right? right. It's a technical school. Correct. So like we didn't, you know, it didn't, I mean, there were arts, but I, it never really, you know, it was one of those things that were like, you know, I guess like when you're a kid, it's all like, hey, you want to learn how to like macrame? Um, but there were theater arts in my in my high school, but it in wasn't fact, like my mother was- did macrame. And let me tell you something: <laughs> it has come I back just, in style, yeah. and the shit she made, we could be selling for one hundred and ninety nine dollars at Urban Outfitters right now. I'm oh just- yeah, it's trendy now. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like yeah, it's in yeah. style. Anyway, side note, side note. Okay, so you were like, I'm not doing. There was no performing at Lane Tech. There was no like out. There were there was. And there was, but it wasn't, again, you know, in terms of representation, there was nothing that, like, I mean, there was nothing that sh- that showed me any kind of, like, longevity in, in it, it didn't mean, you know, it didn't even really occur to me that this was a business that people sort of, like, uh, um, you know, pursued for themselves. So it wasn't until I went to Marquette that I discovered theater. And so it was one of those things that, like, I was like, oh, there's something here. So it wasn't like, uh, it was, it wasn't fostered since I was a kid. This And this is my favorite type of origin story because it means, you know, like there are people who grew up in LA or their their parents are in the industry. And then, so it's always a question, like, am I going to go into this industry? But, but people mm-hmm. like you and like me and, and like Boz, who there's no artists in our family, you know, it, yeah, you, you just it, have yeah. to come to it on your own. So I would love to hear the story about fi- finding it at Marquette. So- like the, this, I've, I've told the story several times, but the short version of it is, so I went to college for chemistry. And so again, because I came from, you know, that, that was just sort of the path that, that particularly, you know, an Asian American follows. It's a very sort of STEM regimented sort of culture. And uh, when I went to Marquette, my first, uh, uh, my, sort of my first like quarter there, it was overwhelming. You know, I mean, college was, was a big transition for me. I was away from home and I uh, I was overwhelmed with all of the STEM courses that I was taking, the GE courses. And I, I went to my advisor. And at the time, you know, this is pre-internet. Like, he, we sat down. I sat down with him and he pulled out the catalog. Oh, the, yeah. The, the, the catalog, right? I and remember so, the catalog. Like, oh, yeah. Remember? And so he was like, let's take a class that has nothing to do with your major. Oh, I love this. Me- so, I love this advisor. I love this advisor. Do you know? So can you like, say his name? Um, At the time. Was it Daniel, Dr. Daniel T. Hayworth? I mean, it's been a while. Yeah, I went yeah, to college yeah. when Dahmer was arrested. So that's Correct. been a while. Okay. Yeah, um, that's the same with us. So, same with me. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think it was Dr. Daniel Daniel Hayworth. Yeah, because he, he was a chemistry professor as well. So he opened up... Um, he opened up the, the thing in the, the catalog and it said acting for non-majors. And I remember thinking, that sounds easy. Let's do that. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I went to the class. I got in and he, he, he was able to squeeze me in because already it was already in the early, in middle of the semester. And so I, the, 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 the 
teacher for that class was a Jesuit priest. His name is Father Gerald Walling, and you know, God rest his soul. And he, his claim to fame was he had like two or three lines on Blues Brothers, the movie. Amazing. <laughs> That's I a mean, like great claim to fame to have. Yeah, shot in Chicago. Yeah, and if you're a Jesuit priest, that's not an actor by trade. Like that is like huge. Like most people would like die to have two to three lines on Blues Brothers that are working. Anyway, so okay, so you're so um he yeah. okay. So how was that so, class? So I took the class, and he after like the first week, he asked me, "Hey." Is and it was at 8 a.m. like typical like one of those like classes that I was like oh my gosh I'm gonna go in here miserable yeah but he said to me um, early on he said do you have any interest in doing this professionally and I said no <laughs> and he's like and he said and he said um, I was like you're hilarious you know <laughs> you're a hilarious Jesuit yeah I'm like good luck with God <laughs> um, no, but it was, it was, he he then he was directing. Um, he was directing the university production of, uh, uh, and he asked me to audition for it. And I was, I didn't even know what an audition was. That's so like, it was one of those things that I didn't really know how to do it. I didn't know right. much about it. And so he's like, can you come in and audition for it? And I did. And I got it. And it was Wait, like, was I think it? I had, like, it was Dernmont's The Physicists. What the fuck is that? Oh man. I love that play. It's a gorgeous oh, who, play. Who, who, what, who, Dernmont. Durnmont, it's the same, you know, it's the same, uh, he's, you know, exactly. It's like, it's one of those like sort of rarely done plays and it's about, uh, uh, fictitious Albert Einstein, uh, the real, um, let me see if I can, it's been so long since I recall this play, uh, the real, uh, Sir Isaac Newton and what was the other, um, Mobius, a fictitious, so the real, I'm sorry, the real Albert Einstein, the real, uh, um, the real uh, 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 Albert Einstein, the real um, Isaac, Newton, Isaac Newton, and then a fake, yeah. uh, a fictitious play, uh, scientist named Mobius, and they were they were all in in a mental institution. And uh, I think that I have this play on my shelves, and I just have never play. read it before. Okay, so who it's did you extraordinary, play? Extraordinary, extraordinary. And so I played, I played a child, like I did up until my mid thirties. I played a child who had like one line. And I remember it took, it takes place in Germany, I believe. And I remember he's like, do you have a German accent? I was like, no. You're like, I, no. I literally am doing chemistry. 90 yeah. I was all like, day, you're right? hilarious. Yeah, Only right. children do accents. You know what I mean? Like it was totally, I was like, whatever's happening. I don't even know what's happening. And, there was, and then I made up a European accent. I mean, I, I, I pulled it out of my ass. I was like, I'm sure don't even remember it but i was like one of those things i love when people like recently gina showed me a video of her in college with an accent let me tell you something anytime anyone does an accent i'm like go for it i think that it is so brave yeah i've got stories about about act i mean i'm asian right so like i mean it's been one of those things that all my life i've had to sort of navigate people being like hey try this yeah on first rise and i was like oh gosh and you know Anyway, I can yeah. go on forever. Yeah, yeah, that. But yeah. I, I did that. I had a line. And then somebody saw me in the production with one line and said, hey, it, it, this is at the Milwaukee Repertory Theater. Somebody from the Milwaukee Repertory That's Theater like was a like. a huge theater, FYI. Dude, right? Right. Again, it, it's it's to this day. And so they asked if I would intern, if I would be considered interning while I was in school. And I said, I didn't even know what that was. So I met with them. And. When I walked into that theater, it was one of those, it's one of the biggest, most extraordinary music theaters in the world, in the country, right? It won the regional Tony. And I, again, I had no frame of reverence for it. So walking in, it was like this magical place. And so I started, um, I started interning 
right right off the bat and it was one of those like um life-changing experiences i i mean to this day the best acting i think i've ever seen you know face to face has been on that stage it's you know many of those actors are still i'm still in touch with to this day some of them have passed away however it was the best training right i mean i got thrown into the deep end it was like working with some of the greats who never no one ever knew right so it was really it was really a wonderful experience and that's when i sort of you know that's when i was like oh i actually can do this for a living so wow. it was yeah milwaukee my... rep i've seen some amazing stuff there yeah. and also what would have been great is yeah we like i mean there's so many things that would have been great in, yeah. at depaul at the theater school but one of them would have been hey there's all these regional theaters like if you want to make some dough it was either like you are going to be doing storefront and die of hunger or you're going to be a star there's no like mm-hmm. What about Milwaukee rep? What about um, the Guthrie? Yeah. Like all the, the things. Guthrie, yeah. I never told mm-hmm. a shit. At least I, or I didn't listen or I was like in a blackout drunk state. But like, I just feel like. Hilarious. I just feel like that is so amazing that you got to do that. So then, wait, and did you change your It wasn't conscious. Was no. that? No, I, I did. I eventually did. Yes. So I have both. And so now it was one of those, like, it was, it was harrowing. But eventually, I mean, I did nothing with my chemistry degree. Nothing. Like literally nothing. That's okay. So I, I Most mean, people do nothing with their theater degree. So, so it, all, it all evens out. Wait, I have a question. And now this is a question that would be difficult for me to answer. So I wouldn't fault you if it's difficult for you. What do you think it was in you that this person saw and said, have you ever considered doing this professionally? I mean, just trying to be really objective about the the, the essence of you that you bring to the table always. How, what did that person identify, do you think, if you had to guess? You know, I'd like to say it was talent. I'd love to be that person and be like, you know, they recognized in me in one line that ordinary <laughs> artist was going to emerge into the universe and play children into his 30s. Like, you know, I, mean, I, I wish I could. It was that. I mean, honestly... I looked different than everybody else uh, on that. Uh, Marquette's a white school and Milwaukee rep, you know, for, God forgive me for saying this, but it was a super, ostensibly all white institution. Super white, super white, yeah. So he, in comes this little Asian guy who like they th- thought might have had potential and also is Asian. And I checked off a lot of boxes for them. And you know what? I could easily say like, I, I could easily sort of, when if you asked me like 20 years ago, I was like, oh, I was talented. But now I'm like, no, I made my way in because of, because I I checked boxes for people. And, you and know, talented. You couldn't, you couldn't well, have done you. it if you didn't thank have talent you. too. Thank you. And I, and I can, I can, I, I, you know, whatever, I can own that now. But at the, but the, the reality is like, I made it in and that's how I got in and I'm okay with that. And I'm not saying that it, it's not taking anything away from talent, but the reality is it's like you got to get in on the inside to work your way out. And if I didn't have that exposure early on, I certainly wouldn't have had the regional career that I did for a little while. You know, so like that credit, like you like you said, Jen, it's like it's a it's a huge credit. So like I would not have made it in any other way. Right. If, and they, I- they yeah. I just am like noticing also like my reaction to, yeah, it's interesting too, as other humans in this industry or any industry, it's like, it's like we have had to, especially those of us that are, you know, I'm 47 and like those of us who have made it in or sort of in from in my, I'm just speaking for myself. Like I, I sort of 
Right. It could have been fucked up reasons or weird reasons that we got in the door or even filling someone's need or fantasy. But then it's like what we do with it once we're in the room that really, really matters. And I think that, um, yeah, regardless of how you ended up in Milwaukee rep, like, I think it's smart. And like, I, I really like the idea of saying, okay, like that's probably why I was there. I checked, I checked boxes, but okay. But that's why a lot of people are a lot of places. And so like, let's, 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 uh, you could stop there and be like, that is some fucked up shit. Fuck them. Or you could say, wait a second, I'm going to still have a fucking career and be a dope actor. Okay. So you're there. You're, you're still, you graduate from Marquette with a double major, I'm assuming, right? Chemistry and, and was it theater, straight up theater or what was your degree? It's well, no, no. It's called it's 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 the it, at the time it's called it, they didn't have a theater degree, right? Okay. It was called the you graduated with uh, a degree Com- in communications. Communications, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My my uh, niece likes to say, uh, Tia, all the people in communications at UCLA are the dumbest people. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That would have been me. And she's like, well. Anyway, so okay, so um, so you graduate, and um, what happens? What happens to you? So, you know, I, I went from there, I went to, uh, I got my equity card pretty early, pretty early. Cause I went for my, my, I think it was my final, my, between my, the summer of my junior year and my senior year, I went to, uh, because of the Milwaukee rep, I got, um, asked to do summer stock at, uh, at PCPA, which is the Pacific conservatory, uh, the performing arts, which is kind of like an ERTA contract out in the West coast, uh, on the West coast. And so I was able to get credits there, which got me my equity card very quickly after, during that time, I didn't get it at the institution, but I got like enough, um, you know, whatever cred that I was able to get my equity card. And again, at the time I was like, eh, what do you equity? I didn't even know what that was really. I don't know if anybody truly knows it when they're, when they're younger. So I had it and I went right, I had my card and I went right to Chicago because family's there. So I was in Chicago. I did a couple of shows. I did one at, uh, at Lifeline at the time. I did one at Northlight. Yeah. So it was nice to sort of go back and, 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 and then I, you know, um, right then I, it's my favorite story. One of my favorite stories. I, I got my, my, my SAG card and my after card in Chicago that summer. Um, because at the time the union was separate, that's how old I am. Um, and, I got my SAG card doing a Tampax commercial and I got my after card doing, I'm not sure if they're still there. I think they are actually, it is a company called break breakthrough services and they did it live industrial. Oh yeah. They, I think they still wait. wait yeah. live? How, how does that work? Yeah, exactly. So it's a lot of like those training, um, you know, you see it a lot, like the people do it like corporate training stuff. Right. So they used at the time it was really new. So like they used a lot of actors and they paid well. Well, I did an yeah. Arthur Anderson one that like paid my rent yeah, for a very long like, time. Yeah. 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 So yeah, exactly. When Arthur Anderson was still alive, uh, I think I did one too. So like they, Wait they a do minute. a lot of corporate Rodney mm-hmm. in St. Charles, someone? Illinois. I don't know. I had to take the Amtrak. It could have been. Yeah, in St. Charles, right? That's where they were centered. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. So you, okay, so you oh got God, your SAG, I know, our world. Do you live, where do you my live? I'm in, New, I'm in LA right now. Okay, this well, is my home, yeah. Okay, well, I'm coming to your home. Okay. Yay. Okay, great. Okay. I'm in Pasadena right now. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we, yeah, I went to Chicago, got my cards, and then 
was there for you know a hot minute and then I moved to New York. Okay, and wait, wait, wait. To- Did you have what years were you working in Chicago? Like were we still were Gina and I in school? What 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 years were that where you were like Tampax man? Chicago. I did the uh God bless that commercial. Yeah. It was so good. I'm- I did uh let's see here. I graduated I, I was there in ninety let's see, ninety seven. We were there. Well, Gina was yeah, graduating, 97. and I, I was, uh, yeah. Anyway, we were there. And then I moved to New York in '98, and then okay. I moved to New York in '98. Yeah. yeah. So you were only so, in Chicago a hot minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but then I came back. I came back in two thousand four, five to do a show at Victory Gardens, Aww. and then I did a show at Victory Garden, and then I did a, a workshop at Steppenwolf. So um, it was you. nice to go back. Look at yeah, you, nice R.I.P. Why, why, R.I.P. Yeah, Victory R.I.P. Gardens. Victory Gardens. That was a whole. Ooh. Well, I'm sorry. What was that? R.I.P. Victory Gardens. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. well, I was there pre K. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, um, but it was yeah. R.I.P. I mean, R.I.P. It was truly one of the most magnificent magnificent shows that I've ever been a part. But I mean. Okay. So you know, wait, wait, wait. Okay. So why New York? Why weren't you like I'm gonna bust out and go to LA and be a superstar? On I didn't. Again, screen? it's all about representation. I mean, I didn't see at the time, and you know, if you think about it, like there were people on television, but it, you know, in terms of like the the the, it, it wasn't pervasive. It was like sort of every once in a while, I'll turn on my TV and I'll see like Dante Bosco, or I'll see like you know what I mean. But it wasn't like I saw like you know I wasn't flooded with the image of an Asian American making it. However, at the time, you know, it was already Asian Americans were starting to sort of like flood the theater world, right? So I started, you know, through James C. and and Lisa Tejero in Chicago and like people who are like who are still friends of mine to this day, Asian American actors. They were doing theater, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to do theater. And so I, it was just one of those, like I went to, and I already had these credits. I had my equity card, I had some credits. My natural proclivity was then to go to, to, uh, to first theater in New York. So it wasn't, I didn't even think about LA. It wasn't like, oh, let me, let me like think about doing television and film. So I went to New York. I just feel like in LA, it's so interesting as an actor, writing is a little different, but as an actor, most of us, if we plan to go to LA as actors, we're going to fail. I just feel like you have to end up here as an actor by accident because you do something else that you love and that people like. And then they're like, I just, it's not the most welcoming, right? Medium film and TV. So like, it's so hard. So I think by accident is really sort of the only way, or if you're just already famous for something else, but like, anyway, so you're in New York. Did you, did you Wait, love it? Can did I, you, can yeah, I hang on Buzz? Can I do a timeout? Because I've been wanting to ask this getting yes. just a little bit back to, you know, your undergrad experience. Did you want to be, were you, did you love chemistry or did you just yeah. do that because, oh, you did. Okay. So it wasn't, it, it wasn't yeah. like, oh, finally I found something that I like. You liked chemistry. No, to this too. day, to this day, I still, like, it's still very much like, you know, the, the, the values of a STEM field is still very much in how I teach, unfortunately. Right. Like I'm very empirical. I, I, I need to know, I need to have answers. Like, you know, it tends to, sometimes it tends to be a lot of it, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, sort of heady. And I'm like, I know I need, I need, I'm pragmatic that way. I need to understand like why. Right. That doesn't seem unfortunate to me. That seems actually really fortunate because you're not the only artist who likes to think, I mean, you know, what about Da Vinci? Like a lot of people like to think about, are in a in a i mean it's really they're 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 really kind of married art and science okay, yeah they so really are that- people i i think people would um it's so funny like people don't see it as such but you're absolutely right yeah, it's I so agree. much more 
Yeah, there's yeah. so much more in common. Well, the other thing that I'm glad Gina brought that up is because I'm questioning, like, okay, so, like, I don't know about at Marquette, but, like, at DePaul, we had, like, we had, like, we had these systems of you got warnings if you weren't doing great. And I bet, like, you probably didn't have the cut system because that just is, okay, good. But, yeah. okay. Well, so, we were, we remember, we, were, we weren't a conservatory. Right, right. So we were very much a, a liberal program. So and, much, and it was, yeah, I love it. Oh, God, how I longed for that later, right? But anyway, so what would have helped is if someone with an empirical, like someone with more a STEM mind sat down with me and said, okay, like here are the things that aren't working in a practical way for you. And here are the things that you can do to fix it. Instead, it was literally this nebulous thing where my warning said, you're not living up to your star power. Now, that's not actually a note. So that, that, that Rick Murphy gave me, and I don't, to this day, I'm like, that is actually, so I would love if I had someone like you, not that you'd be in that system, but like, just to say like, okay, like, here's the reasons why, like, there was no why we were doing anything. It was like, you just do this in order to make it. And I said, okay, I'll do it. But I was like, what the hell, why are we doing this? That's That's like going to a doctor and the doctor being like, you're sick. You know what I mean? And you're like. But can that's why I'm here is for you to help me get to the root of it and figure it out. Right. And I end up being like, you're yeah, I think they didn't know. Here's the thing. I don't think it they're, was because they're like, the yeah, I, I don't think it was because they were, I mean, they could have been rude and all the things I literally, now that I'm 47, looking back on that experience, I'm like, Oh, these teachers didn't fucking know what they were, how to talk. Which and is how, how to- I came. Yeah. Yeah. Which is how I came back to USC. So like, that's, Anyway, yeah, so continue is, your New York adventure. I just wanted to know. No, no, no. You no, New York that is was great. New York is New York was wonderful. I love it. I still love it. I, I literally just got back. Was it? I, that's why I remember I was texting you, uh, emailing you guys. I, I just got back yesterday, the, the night before. Um, uh, some amazing things. You know, my husband would move back in a heartbeat. If I if I like texted him right now and I was like, hey, like let's move back. The house would be packed and we'd he'd be ready to go. He loves it. We both love it. Um, you know, am I in love with New York? Uh, I, that, that remains to be seen. I mean, you know, as I get older, that life is, it's a hard life. And I, I love it when there's no responsibilities, when you can like skip around and have tea every, and, you know, walk around Central Park and like see shows. But, you know, that's obviously not the real, the reality of the day to day in New York. So I miss it. I love it. I've been back for work many times, but I, I, I don't know that the life is there for me anymore, right? I mean, you know, six floor walk ups. Oh no! You know, oh no! Yeah, I, I yeah, just yeah. like it's... constantly sweating in Manhattan. Like I can't oh, yeah. navigate. It's like a lot of yeah. rock, walking really fast, and um... yeah, and no one's wearing masks right now. I just I just came back and I saw six shows when I was there. No one's wearing masks. It's like unnerving. And again, like you know, you know, not throwing politics in it. I was like, you guys, like. How are you okay with it? I'm just like, how are you not unnerved by the fact that we're cramped in worse than an airplane and everyone's like coughing around you and we're sitting here for three hours watching Death of a Salesman? I mean, like, how is that? It's going to be the death of an audience member. (laughs) I mean. So uh, what about the, so at some point you, you pretty much, I mean, you don't do theater anymore, right? You transition to doing. Oh, I know. I do very much so. Very much. And I'm also the associate. Yeah, I'm the associate artistic director of I Am a Theater Company, so like I'm I'm very much theaters. I, I will never let go. It's it's okay, just one of those things. Okay. I will never let. And as as 
wonderful as television and film has been it's it's also like theaters you know it's the it's my own it's my first child yeah 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 Yeah, we have guests like tina parker was like that right wasn't she yeah yeah a lot of a lot of people also tina huang said the same thing yeah tina and i are different she's part we're in the same theater company so yeah tina that's right that's right that's right okay now i'm remembering what that connection was so i have a question too about like when I love it, like I said, when people have no idea anything related to performing arts and then they get kind of thrust into it. So was there any moment in sort of discovering all this where you were able to make sense of or flesh out like the person that you were before you came to this? Like a lot of people have the experience of, of doing their first drama class in high school and saying, oh my God, these are my people and never knowing that their people existed, right? Mm -hmm. Did you have anything like that where you felt like coming into this performing sphere validated or brought to fullness something about you that previously you hadn't been able to explore? Yeah, I mean, coming out, you know what I mean? Like it was the first time that people talk, you know, of course, you know, you know, I was born to, you know, like Gaga said, you know, I was born this way. But that being said, like, again, in the world I, which I grew up in, in Chicago and Lane Tech, it's, it, it, and, and the, you know, the technical high school and, and just the, 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 I grew up in a, a community of immigrants. It's not like it was laid out on the table for one to talk about all the time, right? It wasn't. And even though I may have thought that in my head, again, it wasn't like it was like something that was in the universe, in, in the in the air that I breathed. So I would say that like when I got to the theater, it was the first time, you know, you guys, we're, we're theater kids, right? We know like every, everything's dramatic. Everything's laid, you know, out to, uh, you know, for everyone. Everyone's drama's laid out for everyone to, to see. And, you know, part of it was like sexuality and talking about it and being like and have being just like it just being like talking about somebody's like ethnic background. And so it was the first time that I learned how to talk about it, even to even just like how you even just, you know, you know, how you even describe somebody. Right. And how somebody like because that again, it's not it wasn't like uh, it wasn't language that I had for myself. So I developed the language and how to speak about people. So that's my first thing about theater that I was like, oh, thank God. And then, um, you know, even talking about, you know, like queer, like queer was such a crazy insult back when I was a kid. And then now all of a sudden queer is now this embraced sort of like badge of honor. Right. And so like it was just like that and understanding like Asian and Asian American, breaking that down. Right. And being Filipino, very specifically breaking that down. That all came about from me being in theater. And so, like, I, um, I'm, I owe my my life to it. If you, and and because I've, yeah, you know, I didn't, um, you know, it's so funny how the title of this is "I Survived Theater School." For me, it's it, yes, yes, and um, I also it also allowed theater also gave uh, uh, allowed me to survive. Yes, theater helped you survive. Yes, that's beautiful. So, so in this, yeah. in the, in this spectrum or the arc whatever you want to call it of representation and adequate representation and you know in all of our lifetimes we're probably never gonna achieve what we think is sort of like a perfect representation in media but like in the long arc of things how do you feel Hollywood and theater are doing now in terms of representation of of specifically maybe Filipino but Asian American people how how do you think we're doing I think you know I think that there's there's certainly a shift 
you know, obviously it, uh, we'd like it to be quicker than uh, faster than than it has been. But that being said, there's certainly a shift. Look, I'm being I'll be the first person to say there are many more opportunities that are available that weren't there when I started in this in this business. Um, people are starting to like diversify casts. And, you know, like with I saw Hades Town. It was extraordinary. By the way, I saw six shows in New York in the span of six days. Out of the, and this was not conscious of me. Uh, this is not something I was doing consciously. Out of the six shows I saw, every single show had ninety percent people of color. The cast, and it wasn't, and I wasn't conscientious of it. I wasn't like, I'm going to go see the shows that like it just happened that all of, I saw Hamilton, I saw K-pop, I saw, you know, uh, Death of a Salesman. I saw, and and they all were people of color, and it was beautiful. So there is definitely a shift. That said. I, uh, for me, it's never, this may sound strange, it's not the people in front of the camera or on stage that I have a problem with. Like, that to me is a band-aid. And this is me speaking like an old person, right? I need, it needs to change from the top down. And for me, that's what, where the shift needs to happen. For me, like all the people at top, the, 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 the people who run the thing, that needs to change. And until that changes, then I can expect to start that's, a, a swifter. Yeah, it's so interesting because like, I, I, I feel like that is... That is, we're at a point where we love to, like, the Band-Aid thing, like, really, people really think that's going to work. It never holds. Like, that's the thing about a Band-Aid. The longer the shit is on, it'll fall off eventually, and then you still have the fucking wound. So, like, I, 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 and what I'm also seeing, and I don't know if you guys are seeing it, but what I'm seeing is that, like, so people got scared and they fucking started to promote execs within the company of color and other folks and then didn't train them and now are like, oh, well, we gave you a shot and you failed. So let's get the white kid back in that live, you know, my uncle's kid back in to, yeah. to be the assistant. And I'm yeah. like, no, Setting no. people up for success is a huge thing. Yeah. They need to set people up for success. Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So it's it's performative right now. We're still in the performative phase of our, I would you know, say it feels, it, it, it can feel performative. I, I'm I'm definitely have been I've experienced people who do get it. You know, I mean, Easter Sunday is a perfect example of somebody who does get it. Um, but that being said, like again, uh, it needs to. We need more of those people who get it with a capital I, like you know, up at the top. Because again, otherwise it's just performative, like you said. Does it, so it's does it make you want to be an exec and be at the top and making choices? Yeah, you know, I've always people have asked me. You know, people have asked me. Um, what is the next thing for me? I'd love to show run. I just, again, this is the, this is the STEM part of me, right? Like uh, of us, like is I'm great at putting out fires. I just have been that person. I'm good with people. I'm, I'm, you know, and I've, I, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's just one of those things that like, I, I see is a, is a natural fit. Um, but until that happens, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also, you know, a professor is very much a version of show sure. running. So I've been, I feel like Wait, I'm doing that every day. Can we talk about how, because you've mentioned it several times about playing children into your thirties. So a lot, we have never had anyone on the show that I'm aware of that has had that sort of thing or talked about that thing. They may have had it. Mostly it's the opposite of like those of us who, um, like I'll speak for myself, like in college were um, playing old people at age, you know, 16, because I was a plus size Latina lady and like that's what went down so tell me what what that's what that journey has been like for you I'm just really curious uh, mostly because you mentioned it a couple of times so it must be something that is part of your psyche like what's that about like what the I mean obviously you look quote young but there's other stuff that goes into that so how has that been for you and to not be it sounds like you're coming out of that yeah I mean look it, all my life I've always been you know I mean I'm I'm 
five five six on a good day. Um, and I've always just been, I've always just looked young. Like, I mean, I mean, and I don't mean that like, oh, I look young. Like, I, I don't mean that in any sort of self-aggrandizing way. I literally just am one of those, like, when you're built like me, my, one of my dear friends, Ko, God rest his soul. He, he was always like, Rodney, you're like a little man. Look, looks, you're like a man that looks like a boy. And I was like, that that's hilarious. Like, um, and look, I, for well, growing up little in, in high school and, and, um, it, it was one of those things that I was always like, you know, like uh, I was always chummy with people, but I was never sort of like, like there's a look, let's face it. Like we're, we're a, a, a body conscious society. And when you're whatever it is, like you can't help. There's implicit bias, at, right? Implicit bias, right? Supremacy at its most insidious. And so I am not necessarily, all my life, I was like always trying to, you know, the Napoleon complex of always trying to sort of be like, prove that I was older than I was. How did I you looked. do it? How did you do, how were you, what kind of techniques did you use for it me? Wasn't even my technique. It, it was about doing everything and anything I possibly could. I mean, I was like president or vice president okay. of like a gajillion so, different clubs. So it was doing, it right. was doing, it was not like yeah, changing appearance. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're, yeah, you're I couldn't, I, was yeah, I couldn't do anything about this. Yeah. Right. So yeah, but so, like people try. You know, like people will do all kinds of things to their body to try to, but for you, it sounds yeah. like your way to combat yeah. that was to be a doer, like a super doer. And I certainly, I certainly like worked out by the time I got to college, I was like working out hardcore to try and masculinize like, or, or you know, this and, and eventually I, I did a, a gig that sort of shifted that mentality for me. But that being said, um, I think the thing that really, um, the, the thing that that for me was the big sort of change in all of this was it, just honestly, just maturity. At some point, I was like, you know what? I can't do anything about my age. I can't do anything about my height, nor do I want to. And when that shifted for me, like it just ironically, that's when like the maturity set in. Right. That's when people recognize me as an adult. It's when I got got rid of all of that, that this this notion of what it is I need to do in order for people to, to give me some sort of authority or give me some sort of like to look at me as an adult. That's when I yeah, got rid well, of it. That, you, 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 had to, you had to step into your own understanding that you were fully competent so that you could then broadcast that to everybody else. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious how all of your growth and maturation and your understanding of like one example of the way that people were teaching theater and acting at a certain point in time. I'm really curious, like, what have you brought into your mission at USC? What have you wanted to see improve? What have you wanted to keep? What, what have you been able to bring to, to the curriculum that's, you know, uniquely you? And what changes, if any, have you been able to make? Sure. I mean, it's sort of threefold right off the bat. Like the first thing is, you know, they brought me in and I love working at USC. I mean, it's so strange. I did not think I wanted to be a professor. I shot a pilot at the time uh, it, when I got the offer in 2018, 27, 2018, I think it was. And uh, uh, the, all systems go for it to, to, to shoot. And we were going to move to New York, back to New York to shoot it. And then it got pulled from the, it got pulled from the schedule, the lineup. And, um, and I was back to sort of, you know, back to square one. And I, I don't really mean that literally. But that being said, um, I, this offer came uh, at the dean at the time at USC uh, was like, we want working professionals uh, to come in and teach very specific, uh, uh, a very specific class. And so I, you know, I met with them and I, I was like, OK, I'll teach one class. And then, you know, you know, I was I, I'll, I'll be the first to admit I was like, oh, this might be just a bookmark job. And then I got in there and I was like, I, I fell in love with 
it and not necessarily just the SDA department, but I fell in love with the fact that all of a sudden, like I became that, I became the, the, honestly, I became the Asian professor. And I realized in that moment, like that for my first semester, I never had an Asian professor that in, in the arts ever. And it all of a sudden I went from teaching one class and the next class I had, I would say 50% of my class, my students were, were Asian American because they heard about this guy, right? The guy who played Typhoon is teaching uh, at USC. So all of a sudden now, and then like subsequently my classes, I became that guy and Asians were like coming to Filipinos, especially specifically are like, I never had a Filipino professor. I never thought it could happen. So I, I wear that as a badge of honor. It's something that I'm like, I won't, let I won't give this up because of the opportunities people are now seeing themselves in in um, somebody like me and in a position that I have. So there's that. And then, you know, look, my, I always say my first day of classes, one of the first things that comes out of my mouth is um, whatever class I teach is I don't I, you're no longer a student to me. These are colleagues in training. Right. So like for me, I I, tr I will I treat them as such. I'm not here to treat them like babies. I'm not the kind of professor who's like, okay, let's check off attendance. You know, I'm not about like, I'm not about like turning your assignments and then you get it tomorrow with a grade on it. I'm very organic in the sense that like, that's what I want to set. Like you said, Jen, like I want to set my students up for success the way I wish I was set up for success. And every, it is not prescriptive. We know that what we do is not prescriptive. Uh, we could easily make it prescriptive. And, and that is that is literally pulling the rug from underneath most of our, our an artist. And so I go in and holistically like work with every student to make sure that what they, what makes them special, what makes them unique, their foundation is strong. And that's going to be different than every other student. So that to me is how I go about it. And, and it, for better or for worse, it's one of those things that I, I just, I love making sure that my students, whether they do this or not, is not the, is not the point, whether they, when they come out of here, that they they know what makes their artistry great, and then if they can do that, then Godspeed, whatever happens, that makes them. But you, again, like I don't go in there being like, "We're going to teach this philosophy, and here's how you do it." And you know, everyone's body's different, right? So even even our diaphragms, right? Are uh, and that to me is something like uh, I I'm very conscientious of it because I again, no one I was working under a Eurocentric cis supremacist sort of theater philosophy and then for so many years i was like oh this is how i am supposed to be in the world and then all of a sudden someone's looking at me like dude you're asian and five foot five like you're never going to play willie loman right like so uh and it, again, it was like, but then it was like, that's all I thought about for so long is I'm going to play that. I'm going to play this or I, I should strive to only okay. play that. So mm -hmm. I feel like when people say, sorry to interrupt Rodney, but like, I want to no, ask you a question. So yeah. are you teaching non-majors, major? Who are your students? What I'm, uh, I only work with majors. So like I work with, uh, I work uh, with all of the programs. So I were teaching the BA program, the BFA wow. program, the MFA program, and the MFA writers. So I work Holy with all shit. of them. And then I, How many and then classes do you teach up in there? It depends on what the semester of you has. So this semester I'm teaching four, well, five. And then next semester I'll teach four. Oh, like that's a full-time situation almost, right? Like, yeah, I'm working for two full-time jobs. It's really intense. Yeah, okay. But, okay. And but then, they hired us knowing, right? So like this yes. is this is one of the things that I am... You know, Kate Burton is also on faculty, Alexander Billings, two yes. of the most working professionals like on the face Alexander. of the yeah. yeah. 
And so like if we if they can make their lives work, I mean, I certainly can yes. make my life work. Yes. So we've been very we've been we, we talk about it all the time, how blessed we are with this with a, to be a part of a department that understands that, hey, you want people who are on the front lines. Working, yeah. And then I just have one quick question, then I'll, I'll shut up for a while. But I just want to know, like, what, how do you think USC is doing? You know, look, it's not without its problems. I'll, no. I'm, I'm going right. to be saying that, right? I would say that it's, you know, in terms of like, there's a lot of structural issues. There's certainly curriculum stuff that I have a fundamental problem with. But that's every program. Oh, sure. That's Julia. Sure. That's, yeah, that's Gethin School. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's whatever. Everyone's got some kind of deficiency. But I will say for the – and I've said this. Like now that I'm this many years in on the other end of things and, you know, like I see I see a green pasture in, in, in the distance, um, I have to say like I could never have went – somebody like me with the kind of career that I've had, with the kind of – uh, uh, roles that I play with the kind of art that I was meant to do. And I don't mean like as just an actor, because, you know, uh, you know, multi-hyphenate. I was a multi-hyphenate before that was even a buzzword. Um, I would have sunk if I would have went to a strict conservatory. Like I could, I would not have been set up for success. I would not have the tools coming out. Okay, so who is set up to go, and this is a question for both you and Gina, because like I left, I taught at the theater school at DePaul and left because I just couldn't, it was, there's a lot of shit going down. But I'm asking like, I guess there has to be a student that thrives at those places. Who are those people? Are they just, I mean, yeah. Jessica, Jessica Chastain, for one, Adam Driver, number two. I mean, there's, I mean, there are people absolutely who have, you know, and honestly, there are people who I would say like who, who I, I, maybe I should, maybe more 20 years ago than now, but who want the regional life, right? Who want to do the Lord theater circuit and want to go and do, yeah, that I'm, I'm all about you doing a conservatory if that's the, the singular thing that you want to do. But again, I had to forge my path in a very unconventional way. And that would not have been permissible if I was not in a school that allowed me to take French and allowed me to take chemistry and allowed me to, to, to go and do clubs and, and, and do theater outside of the program. So for me, that's why a, a, a school like Marquette and thus a school like USC, that's why I'm there because that is why it works for me. Yeah. So what things that uh, we've spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about is our own epiphany into understanding that it's not about us trying to contort to fit this role. It's about figuring out what in the role I already have and bring, you know, bringing that to it. Um, is that kind of just generally how theater education is? Is everybody operating under that same assumption or is there still a lot of, in your experience, um, you know, kind of the, you know, they used to say like at theater school, especially cut programs, oh, we break you down to build you up. You know, there's a lot of that. That's a very old mentality. But I'm curious how much of that is still in play, if you know. Yeah, I think that there's, with any program, there is still this sort of old world philosophy. Um, I would, you know, uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to go on record saying that there's not, it's not that there's no room for it. Right. But there's for 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 me, it's if I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Back in the day when it when TV and theater were, for the most part, mutually exclusive. Right. No one went to New York for a television career. And if you did, it was by happenstance. 
right? That you got a gig or two or three, like, right? Um, but you didn't go there. And there's no one went to LA for Broadway, right? So like, for me, the the thing is, um, I I would say that back 20 years ago, like when you wanted the rigor of like theater training and understanding how to do Chekhov and Shakespeare and, and Congreve and like certainly a, a very regimented few, uh, world would be much more because it is a, right. We know it's a marathon. Theater is a marathon. You need somebody who can build your stamina, not just emotionally, but physically. Your voice has to last three hours in period costumes out in an Elizabethan theater. So that being said, that kind of rigor, I would say, you know, back 20 years ago was really important. But nowadays, especially, and again, I this is my vantage point. Some people, I, I welcome anyone to counter it, but you can't have a life in theater unless you're doing a long running Broadway show like Wicked or whatever Phantom of the Opera which is closing I mean like you can't have a life in theater without having a life in tele with having roots in television or film nowadays because it just isn't sustainable financially so in order to do this television and film world for me it's really about understanding who we are like you said Gina like understanding who we are and bringing that because we're in this world of natural like slice of life acting Right. And from going to be able to tap into one or the other will give you a very many more options and give you a longer sort of life in the business. But that being said, like it wasn't like that when I was I could absolutely do this kind of stuff when I was and be more demonstrative and, and my voice. And when I was doing that, when I was strictly pursuing theater. But now that I have a life in television, I had to learn how to toggle and understanding that what you said, like who I am as a human being is all I need to bring to the part. Yeah. Right. So for me, it is, it is, I mean, you know, look, I used to be the person I'm like, I was always up for Caliban in, in Tempest, right. And creatures and stuff like that. Puck, so if I brought puck, that into a lot of puck puck, energy. I played, yeah, I certainly played puck twice, but like bringing that into a television Right. Audition is like all of a sudden it's too big. Well, you'd right? be on Saturday Night Live. I mean, they would put you right on Saturday right. Night Live. But wait, so you, know, like, you just yeah. made me realize something. So I I have a, like a, an audition for KFC today, which is great, great, national, wonderful. I but I never oh like gave it my all in these because I was like, oh, I'm a plus size person. They're never going to hire me for a food commercial. But today I had this realization like fat people need to eat too. And I know that sounds so crazy, but like, I mean, it just sounds kind of flippant, but that's literally, I was like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Fat people need to eat chicken just like a skinny person. So like, and maybe even whatever. The point is I always went into those like, so like, oh, they're never going to cast me right in this food commercial. And then I was like, well, this is stupid because no. And so anyway, it's sort of like the shift of that. Like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You booked this other thing and people kept coming up to you and saying like, oh my God, thank God. Like a lady looks like you on this Walmart commercial, right? Like literally. And then I'm like, okay, well, they have, we have to eat. Everyone eats. So stop it to myself. I say, stop yeah, it. Yeah. I'm yeah. Yeah. Do yeah. The yeah. Funny bit in the fucking KFC commercial. So yeah. anyway, but it's a different. Sh it's a shift of, um, I think, like you were saying, sort of mm, not excluding myself based on how I look from certain things, and not making assumptions either about what yeah. needs to happen, and being just yeah. bringing myself to the goddamn table. And at the end of the day, like, again, great acting is great acting, just great acting is great acting is great acting. Like, the, whether the, whatever the medium, the foundation is the same, right? It's all the external stuff that sort of shifts. 
so for me, like if you when someone's able to tap into that and, and, and really adopt that philosophy, at the end of the day, I, everyone, anyone who's like, oh my God, this is television acting and this is theater acting, they can suck a bag of dicks. I mean, it, sorry. It just, at the end, no, like, I'm, I'm totally that guy who has made a life doing both. Uh, and it is, and I know that it is possible to do both. And for what, for someone to say that one is too big and for what someone to say that, you know, uh, one is not big enough. It's just, I'm like, well, then good luck to the person, good luck to the person who you believe is intended to do that storytelling. I would, uh, Godspeed. Because my, what, it was one, you know, I used to come to both New York and LA and Chicago, like, oh, there's a way to get this. There's a right way to get this. And I was like, for so many years, that's all it was for me. I was like, oh, this casting director, they like this. This director loves this. And I was like, you know what? But that's not what makes me well, Also, it doesn't work. So, yeah. It doesn't fucking work yeah. long term. Yeah. It's not a yeah. solution. It's also, again, like you said, it's a Band-Aid, right? I can get this job maybe if I'm lucky to get through. But is that making me a better actor? Yeah. So me, Wait. Like, yeah. You guys, is our industry the only one that makes us wonder on a daily basis if we're, per, val, you know, like people, like human, like valued, you know, like, like if we matter as a person? You know, it's I, funny. I, um, <laughs> it's not that. It, uh, I mean, it's a real question. Someone told me many years ago, someone, someone told me many years ago, like there are only two professions in the world where someone could base you, uh, uh, could judge you based on your race your your race, your color, your size, and, and the way you look, and and devalue you as a pre, as a person, and that's being an actor and being a prostitute. Yeah, totally. No, totally. So it's like isn't it, it's like scary. It's a profound to hear that. Uh, but that being said, I'm like, you know what? Bring it on. I'm so not like this. I'm at that age right now. I'm like, uh, you know what? Like, if that's how people see us, that's how people see us. That's not how I see myself. So I just, you know, that's all that matters to me. Also, the more I own the shit, like you were saying, the more we own whatever is going on, whatever it is, even if it's like you own the weirdness, the the manicness, the depression, whatever the thing is, the more I own it, the more I own it, the more people really are like, oh, we want that. What we do is what we do for a living is absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. And I want nothing else but yeah yeah, yeah. Is, is. i can't i you know i can't i i would rather this and and freaking out and and like having a very eclectic life than me being bored with it yeah me too I just, 100%, it is. Yeah. A, I, I don't i don't function any other way like yeah, much to yeah. my, my family's chagrin you know they're the complete opposite they're very all about like hey let's where are we gonna you know where are we going to like settle down and i'm like no i'm like i have so much more life to live and again it's not one's not better than the other it just right, is just what it different. is yeah. yeah so at the beginning you said something about that you have a bunch of stories about accents and i i was really curious to follow yeah. up on that it's, what can you say about that um all right so speaking of arthur anderson so i yeah, this is totally Arthur Anderson. So I, many, many years ago, Richard Charbonneau, he's a casting director in Chicago, died. Oh, passed away. dead. Okay. Dick Charbonneau, yes. Uh, he, um, I, I, I think I met him. I was, I was with Getty's talent. Oh, me too. Agency. Yeah. And uh, she, uh, I think it was Anne who was in Chicago was like, hey, 
um, Dick Charbonneau saw you in a play and wants to bring you in for this thing. And I was all like, I didn't know what it was. I, I didn't know what an, uh, you know, a live industrial was. And they didn't even, it wasn't even called a live industrial then. And uh, I went in and it was for what eventually would be a, a live industrial. And it was, the character's name was Martin Tan from Singapore. And I went to the audition and when I was, when I got there, I prepared the sides and I knew the character was from Singapore, but didn't say anything about an accent or anything. So Dick Charbonneau said to me when I was doing the audition, do you have an accent? Do you have a Singaporean accent? And I literally just go, yep. And I don't, I mean, I don't, because again, it was again, like getting the job for me. Right. And so I made up, I mean, I did a Filipino accent. It's the thickest Filipino accent I possibly could possibly do. And I did at that thinking, not even not again, thinking that this, no one's going to believe me as a businessman. Right. Again, this is the part of me that was like, I look at a boy. Um, and, uh, I did the audition and I got the job. And it was it was an industrial, and it was supposed to be one industrial for Arthur for the business audit immersion program at Arthur Anderson, and so it was supposed to be one video industrial. So I did that, and I remember the videotape in the tape. My I think one of my first line is, "I like it here in America because they have a lot of great rice." So, and then they oh show me in the cafeteria. And then what was weird, though, is that job turned into, like, I think I did, I clocked in at over, like, 30 industrials for that one business out of emergency. And then they, they turned it into a live industrial. So they loved the four of us. I think Catherine Rodriguez is one. Kevin Kelly, who I'm still dear friends with. The three of us were part of this um, this business audit immersion training, like, program, video program, and live industrial. They sent us all over the country, like, training people how to and we were employees so as martin tan from singapore and we would do, with this busted accent that i made like i made up and eventually they had people from singapore come to train and i like i remember i was like i don't even think i knew what a panic attack was until i got a call that day of being like hey you're gonna be training people from singapore and i was all like oh no 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 this is phony like and they were like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I, I just made up that accent. I'm so sorry. Anyways, so, um, and I remember meeting some people. I remember meeting people from Singapore back in the 90s and then looking at me like, you're busted. Like, basically, like, the look at death. They were like, we can't fire you, but you're canceled. Oh, my like- <laughs> gosh. Okay, okay. This is, I mean, that is so, uh, an amazing story. And also, I had the almost exact experience at Arthur Anderson Live Industrial where I was going in to play. This was like 2000, no, 1999. I was going in to play a Latina lady and they literally wanted her to talk like a chola from South Central. So like she was supposed to be a a employee and it, we we had to be in character the whole time. I don't know if you had to be, mm-hmm. but we couldn't be ourselves. Yes, that's what it was. Undercover. Yes, you were undercover. Yes, you were undercover. He's supposed to be the manager and like yeah, all kinds yeah. of crazy shit. And I, yeah. and, and in the line of the food, we had to yeah. stay in character. I'm like this big dork from Evanston. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I would like some chicken nuggets, please. And I, oh, like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, that was, it was so ridiculous. And I've done, I mean, I wish that was the only case of that. I've done many of many a crazy situations since then. So, but that being said, like, again, it's all, it's all informed my career. Like I wouldn't have this yeah. if I didn't do that. So 
Yeah. But you're, I'm guessing you've been expected to be able at the drop of a hat to do literally any Asian accent, even though there are 4 million dialects, you know, within the continent, yeah. right? Look, I also, like for a long time, you know, I'm a staunch advocate for the Asian American uh, community. I, I'm, I serve on many a committee about representation and it's, it, it's easy to get into this place of like, oh my gosh, no, 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 no. But also like, as you know, as evidenced by like Easter Sunday and, and stuff, like it's um, when a person is able to authentically portray somebody and also, you know, give that character a beating heart that bleeds red blood and dignity and grace. Like I'm all for it. My mom has an accent, you know, and I certainly want to give voice to, you know, women like that. And I'm not be afraid of that. She grew, you know, she came to America always being ashamed of it. And I'm like, no, that's who you are. So if we can give them dignity, I'm like, I'm for it. It's when, when they're not, when they're not treating it with respect and grace. That's and the and that's when, that's, the there's the problem. It's the intention and the, and the intent, yeah, it's the intention and the, uh, and, and like you're saying, respect and dignity. When a character has no dignity, that's where we get into, that's where we get into like the John Hughes 16 candles. You know, that is, that is, that is not, th- their only purpose is to, is to make white people laugh. Yeah, dehumanize somebody, right? To, it's the dehumanization. That's where the danger lies. That's where stop Asian hate. Right. That's where the Asian American hate. That's why is because we've been dehumanized for so long in represent in, in image in images. And so it's it's like that's where the danger lies. But I'm also the first person. I mean, I love I love an accent like a dear friend of mine and I, we, we've done them so long and for so long and we always got we're afraid of it. But it's also a special skill of ours. You know, and well, they're fucking again, hard to do. Yeah, they're hard, and it's also really beautiful. And there's a, you know, it's it's a different kind of musicality, right? And and it's I when you can do it and you do it well, and it can serve a purpose, and it can serve life, and you can give, you can make somebody multidimensional. I'm like, let's bring that on. Let's celebrate it, right? Like, let's celebrate it. I don't want to. I, I hate hearing somebody going into a, a store or a restaurant and like feeling ashamed of their accent because everybody around them is like what huh huh and that's also because of the imagery that we've portrayed you know once we can sort of embrace it and say that these are real human beings i mean i'm for it i'm for it when it's under the right circumstances yeah sure of course just just like anything so ronnie where can people find you um you can find me at usc i also i I just wrapped class oh my gosh you're hilarious (laughs) um I uh, I just wrapped on a new sh- uh, TV series with Michelle Yeoh. So that wrap up, we hey. go over your lawn. I think it drops on Netflix on in, I want to say the late summer. It's a big action pack series. So there's that coming out. Um, yeah, thank you. That, that's been, and you know, Easter Sunday is now out in, on DVD. So we, we've been, see, yeah, that's that's it but yeah Yay. what about social media are you on social media oh find me that way yeah oh i'm on uh instagram at rodney toe uh it's r-o-d-k-n-e-e-t-o-w so it's my name phonetically and then uh yeah twitter Oof, if, i don't know how much longer <laughs> i'm gonna be on twitter R-I-P. But, um, <laughs> yeah i'm at rod red rod uh, there, that's a different one, um, and then on Facebook and stuff like that. I'm so gonna that's find the, you. I'm gonna find so you. So everywhere, the answer is everywhere. 
I'm on I'm on all the I'm on TikTok, but I'm I'm not on TikTok if you know what I mean. Like I I think I have like a follower, and I think it's my husband. I mean that it's like that. I I don't know. It's so funny. At least your husband follows you on TikTok. Mine doesn't. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you. Thank you.